Welcome to Myth versus Craft. Welcome to episode 5 of Myth versus Craft, where I set out to interview interesting people who excel at what they do. My guest today is the award-winning blues guitarist and singer, Matt Schofield. He's been named one of the top 10 British blues guitarists of all time by Guitar and Bass magazine. And though he's only 38 years old, he's already been inducted into the British Blues Hall of Fame. Though his music is firmly rooted in traditional blues, he infuses it with jazz, funk, and soul, creating his own distinctive style. His playing is tasteful and his phrasing impeccable. I encourage you to visit mattscofield.com to find his music and find out if he'll be performing near you anytime soon. Here we go. Matt, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Let's go way back to the beginning. Uh, You were born in Manchester and started playing guitar at age 12. I read that your dad gave you a video of B.B. King and it set everything in motion. Pretty much. Uh, You also cite uh, Albert Collins and Stevie Ray Vaughan as early influences. I'm curious, did you find yourself gravitating toward American blues artists for the most part? Or did any of the blues greats in the UK also make an impact on you? Uh, For the most part, it was all the uh, American players, for whatever reason. I mean, I think that's mostly what my dad was listening to and what I'd grown up hearing. So he was, uh, or he is, uh, a product of... um, you know, a generation where people started discovering the blues in Europe and before people started playing it over there, really. So uh, he was listening to to all the original guys and a lot of acoustic and Delta and Mississippi type stuff as well. Um, but I was drawn to his uh, collection of electric uh, blues players, you know. So, uh, I mean, there was a little bit of a uh, little bit of Eric Clapton in there for me, which is... Um, yeah, kind of, uh, of course, when you start playing guitar and you're a British kid, you check out Eric Clapton. So, uh, <laughs> but other than that, it was uh, it was pretty much all American musicians. Yeah. Your first gig, I believe, was at age 13. What was the local music scene like in Manchester? Well, actually, by then I'd moved away from Manchester, so um, we moved down south when I was about eight. So, uh, having been raised in Manchester initially, I grew up in a in a little tiny uh countryside town so uh in in the place called fairford in gloucestershire which is in the cotswolds part of the of uh, the uk which is very picturesque countryside but absolutely no music scene whatsoever at all so my band my school band was the band in the area that was what the music scene was like so um, so no one uh, no one was really involved in it at all so we did it ourselves you know was that challenging for you, or do you think, if anything, it maybe provided more opportunities for you to play out and, and garner more attention? Um, well, you know, we didn't really get much attention initially beyond the, the, the small area, but um, yeah, it was it it was cool because we were a band right away. So it was me and my friends from school, and we all happened to have found this kind of music that we that we loved, but. Um, I, in hindsight, it probably would have been nicer to have other more experienced musicians to be around and, and learn from, you know. So uh, we were a bit isolated in, in that respect. But um, the, the cool thing, there was a U.S. Uh, Air Force base um, mm. near where I grew up. It was a Royal Air Force base, but they loaned it to uh, the uh, U.S. Air Force. And so that was our main gig for a while. We used to go and play in the, uh, in the rec room for the, for the fighter pilots. 
because they were Americans and they knew about blues, which most of the people in our area didn't. So that was that was kind of cool that we were like the only guys who had that to offer around that. So, uh, but you know, it wasn't until I started going to London when I was about eighteen that I started playing and meeting and hearing more experienced, more skilled musicians, and that was really when I began to develop. Uh, I suppose more than just being a young kid who can blow some guitar solos or something, you know? I hear quite a bit of jazz and, and funk in your playing. Oh, at, yeah. what, at what age would you would you say those styles began to uh, become evident and color your music? Uh, probably around 15 or 16 years old. I it was actually hearing Robin Ford for the first time, a record of his, and he had, you know... Uh, well, it still felt the same as all the blues guys I was listening to, but he had all these other notes. And I was like, where is he getting these from? And of course, this is pre, pre-internet and pre-YouTube. You can't just jump online and find out about things. And I didn't really know anybody who knew a great deal about jazz. You know, sort of back then you had to know somebody who had a record to play you or tell you what to get, you know. So I found out somehow, read a guitar magazine, that Robin was listening to saxophone players, jazz saxophone players, mm-hmm. to get a lot of his phrasing and his melodic ideas so i started slowly dipping into into that kind of stuff and um actually for myself found that i uh, really love uh jazz piano particularly oscar peterson so he's been a big influence on me in a in as much as his time feel and his pocket and his swing and his group you know and and that kind of thing so um so yeah it was pretty early on but it just i didn't really have opportunity to play anything on the jazzier side you know uh, early on it was still more on your kind of straight ahead blues and blues rock and that kind of thing so it was it's been a slower or it was a slower sort of process to integrate that or find an outlet for it in the music and really until i started playing with my own band i uh, i didn't have a chance for that you know you uh, moved to London at age 18 That's and right. uh, and played as a sideman with a number of artists were most of them uh, blues artists Yes, yes, uh, very much so. In fact, I tried to do, um, I, I got offered a couple of like pop sessions, you know, in the studio to play play guitar on some records. And, you know, that's good money, better than the blues gig. So I'm still a teenager and I go to this first session and uh, the producer wanted me to play just something really, really simple. It was like just like a straight up D chord arpeggio or something. Mm-hmm. And I kept putting a little you know a bit of vibrato on it or something that i wasn't even aware i was doing it was just coming out and uh, he said yeah can you just not do it like that and i couldn't do it i couldn't <laughs> play what he asked me to play i could only play what i felt and so i decided i said to him look you know i don't think i'm the guy for the job here and that was the last pop session i ever did in my life <laughs> and i just decided i went home and i said well i guess i'm just gonna have to do what i do and hopefully people will uh, people are like that so yeah, so it was always, you know, blues bands and uh, and blues related stuff, and you know, some funkier side of things and and uh, jazzier side of things. But for the most part, always rooted in blues. Yeah, I believe you did that for for a number of years, perhaps even seven years. Yeah. What what lessons did you take from your time as a sideman? I imagine the whole time you were you were paying attention and learning from the folks with whom you were playing. What what are some of the key lessons you took away from that? So much, yeah. I mean, um, well, first of all, I was just happy to have a gig, you know, and be able to play guitar and and do that and not have to 
get a job, a real job, as they say. But uh, so that was the first thing. He's just been grateful to even get to play music uh, all the time and uh, always trying to remember that no matter what you're up to. I still think about that now. Um, and, of course, uh, lots of musical lessons about um, not so much – well, first of all, it was a really very it was a good experience getting to play in, in a band without having to worry about fronting it mm-hmm. and communicating with the audience and getting to learn about fitting in the band as part of the rhythm section, which you know so many guitarists are just about being up front and getting to the solo and but being in the pocket with the band and learning about how to play grooves with the band and how to lock together and work as a team in the music. That was one of the best experiences. So I really grew out of that, playing with good drummers, basically. So mm-hmm. when you start, start to play with really good drummers, and you, you have to lock in with them. And, you know, I'm not getting a solo on every tune or something. I'm not necessarily featured. So uh, how can I make the band sound better? Right. Is, is, was, the, was the big thing. And still now, you know, I love just getting in with the band and playing while somebody else blows. Even in my own band, that's why I've never really enjoyed playing straight-up power trio with guitar, bass, and drums because I miss being able to back somebody else up. Playing rhythm right. guitar is one of my favorite things to do. Just lock in there. That's, nothing feels better than that. So that musically would be the biggest thing about just how to make your music sound better and find your spot in it as well when you're playing in a bigger band and not step on somebody else's toes or get in the way or... That kind of thing. But then probably the uh, the next biggest lesson is not so much even about the music. It's more, you know, you're on tour with a certain group of people in, cl- in enclosed spaces for long periods of time, you know. And uh, it's just kind of like a how to do that experience, you know. And you see people that um, you're like, I don't want to be that guy in the band. You know, <laughs> I don't... I don't I don't want to be that, you know, hassle that that guy is causing. You know, so some of it is just about learning to just be cool with whatever the situation is and roll with it and be flexible in life and uh, and situations, you know. So I'd say that's about half of what I learned being in other bands as well. It's just about how to be in a band. And then the consequence of that is you also learn how to lead a band and what kind of band leader you want to be based upon how you've been treated by the band leaders you've worked for you know Um, for sure it was half musical but half just music industry and life you know can you pinpoint the moment or the age at which you decided that you were going to take a shot at making a career in music uh yeah about five minutes after i picked up the guitar oh wow (laughs) no i mean really it was like it, it sounds funny but from that moment that it's right around the time Stevie Ray Vaughan got killed, actually. And, you know, I'd been getting more and more into it. And then, you know, I was like just turned 13 the week before, I think. And, uh, well, i got to do this, you know. it just uh, That just all added to the desire to do it that I just found this great artist and then he was gone, you know. just mm-hmm. I mean, this was all in a matter of weeks. So, yeah, that was when, I, yeah, I went back, to, went back to school in that September and got band together with my friends and uh i mean that i really i basically just carried on doing it since then <laughs> so it, it was i said to a boy i'm gonna be a guitar player and for some reason they believed me and they <laughs> they still seem to i seem to be getting away with it now for 25 years so uh, <laughs> yeah it's it's 
it's funny, but I never had any intention of doing anything else from that moment. Um, wow. Did you receive any formal education in music or did you learn everything uh, in the trenches, so to speak? Uh, no, I mean, actually, when I was about probably eight or nine years old, maybe something like that, I learned some uh, Christmas carols on, on guitar at school, you know, like just the cowboy chords, like an E and a D and a G or something. So that's brought by, a, by the local guitar teacher. So that's the extent of my formal uh, education. And then, you know, from when I, when I picked it up again, about 12, to play blues on it, uh, I've just figured it out myself. But, uh, and from, you know, hanging around other great musicians and asking them what they're doing and uh, annoying them and paying attention, you know? How did you pick up your, your jazz chops uh, in terms of harmony, in terms of voicings? In terms of the uh, just everything there is to learn beyond the blues in in the jazz realm, listening to jazz, it's, it's as simple as that. that. In fact, a lot of people, you know, they'll come up after, oh, you know, how how do you, what's that jazzy stuff you're doing? Where, how do I learn that? You know, some really common question from guitar players who are probably come from blues or blues rock or classic rock or something, and they, you know, what, you know, where where should what should I do to learn that? And the the answer is listen to jazz. So most mm-hmm. people they want the they want the cool, you know, flash impressive bit of playing some diminished line or something, you know, on the guitar that sounds that turns people's ears, but they don't actually listen to jazz to find out where that comes from, you know. Right. So you have to invest in the music and you are a product of what you what you listen to. So um yeah, it's just listening to music it, it starts to come out, but I I mean there's there's a really slow slow road and it took me years you know coming from blues to even figure out the basic building blocks of uh, of harmony and things like that you know i kind of worked backwards at it by looking for sounds that i liked and then discovering what it, exactly it was i was doing you know so but it goes in in a different way than if you had just shown it and like from a theory point of view so now i know enough theory to explain what i'm doing but uh, it's never been it's always been figure out something that i want to get out whether i want to express you know or a sound that i want to find and then piece it together with what's actually going on there so probably the wrong way around but it's worked okay so i uh just had david grissom on on the show and he mentioned he had a, a jazz guitar teacher at age 15 and he learned quite a bit, and then he said that pretty early on he realized that being a really good jazz guitar player was a full-time occupation. Oh, completely, yeah. And that there were too many other styles of music that were that attracted him and that were interesting to him, and that's why he, he backed off somewhat on, on that side of his playing. I can completely relate to that because it, I would say it's a, it's a path that I've stood and looked down down but didn't want to venture down you know it's kind of that's the way it feels for me at some point you sort of decide how far down that rabbit hole you want to go and I've never practiced technique I've never sat there and like done scales or uh done you know some kind of physical technique that without it there being a need for it in the music that I was trying to create if that makes sense so and at some point, it seemed like, yeah, to go all the way down the jazz route, I would actually have to sit there and get into the mechanics of it in some way in order to be able to play it. And that wasn't what I was 
kind of after uh, in terms of expressing myself. So I totally, totally relate to that. It is an investment, you know, to go go that far down. Or you decide, oh, I just want to sound like me. And that's what I decided to do is that was the most important thing. And my biggest heroes, more than anything else, they just had that sound within one or two notes. And I thought, well, that's really what I want to do more than know everything on the guitar, you know? Do you still find uh, time to practice? And, and when you do, I imagine, you mentioned you don't practice technique, but it might be phrasing, it might be improvisation. Or, or do you find that playing live is all the practice you need? Ne- I've never had any kind of like routine or schedule or, uh, you know, I've just, I just pick up the guitar and I just play around on it, you know? It's more like a adventure or something fun so i mean i pick up the guitar all the time and i play around on it and new things come out you know um and that's very different than than uh, being on the gig you know so um and then as i get older as well there's an element of just like staying somewhat physically in shape as well between tours you know like i used to be able to in my 20s i could just pick up and go cold straight in there you know but uh that doesn't get any easier as i approach 40 and no doubt it will get <laughs> even harder as time goes on you know so you gotta there's a physical element of having to stay in nimble stay in shape um if you call that practicing i don't know but to me it's just i just play guitar and that's what i've always done and it more for the process of making music than just playing guitar for guitar's sake to get better at guitar or something i just it's like making music, really. Right. I find your music very interesting in that many of your songs appear to be uh, pretty orthodox at first, only to reveal more intricate harmonies and, and fresh chord progressions or twists. You manage to do this without making it seem like you're like you're trying to do it, like trying too hard, which I think is part of the, the appeal of the music. Um, how do you do this? Does it come naturally or do you work hard at being inventive? Uh, that's a good question that's cool observation thank you um there is a little element of just trying to amuse myself for want of a better you know or keep it interesting for me first and foremost right so yeah most of my songs if they're it's either chord progression or groove you can split them up into two categories if the groove is a traditional kind of blues groove then i'm gonna mess with the changes a bit or if the changes are a pretty straight thing i'm going to mess with the groove a bit if that makes mm-hmm. sense just because i would just basically be bored playing the same progressions over and over and rhythmically i like interesting things i like playing over odd time signatures or or you know having to make a change at a certain point you know melodically or hit the change perhaps where you wouldn't be expecting it so yeah it's i wouldn't crowbar anything in there i wouldn't force something if it didn't feel natural but it is fairly thoughtful in terms of uh trying to just put a twist in there but it's to keep it interesting for me and hopefully for everybody else do you have a set process to uh to write songs or, or does it happen in many different ways yeah many different ways i wish i did have a set process actually because it's not something I find easy at all, you know? Um, so, in fact, the rest of it, like the guitar playing bit, was always pretty easy, you know? So I never never thought twice about it, and and I sounded okay 
very quickly, but singing, writing songs, my goodness, that's a whole other thing. So that's that's actually where I've probably most of the last 10 years put most of my effort going back to practicing even and it's like well i kind of like how i play guitar now i don't i'm not missing i'm not like i wish i could do this more you know or something you know it's all you i'm always trying to grow with it but the main focus is like the context for that guitar playing they go into and so trying to yeah write better songs that express more um of what i'm about musically so um i wish i had a process but yeah it just it just comes out and you have to be kind of open to something possibly being the beginning of a of an idea you know like so i improvise solos every night on stage and in a way they're mini compositions you know and so it's trying to catch something that you could uh take you know sort of build upon into into more than just a guitar lick or a phrase or something. That's it's probably where it starts. But man, it's it's hard. I've thrown away a lot more songs than I've ever recorded. You know. When did you start singing? Uh, I always sang a bit, and then, you know, in the in the band that we were talking about earlier in the high school band and stuff. But uh, but then when I became a sideman, it that really went on the back burner. Like I said, I was just happy to just play music, and so play my guitar, turn up for the gig on time. And, uh, that was, that was cool. So, uh, yeah. So really then when I started the project, what's that? 2002, 2003, I really started doing more of my own thing than, than sidemen things. And we did a fair amount of instrumentals to start with. And it was like, yeah, somebody's got to sing now, haven't they? Because, uh, because all the music I love is generally, or most of the music I love outside of the jazz stuff is vocal music. All my really big heroes, are great singers as well. So, so yeah, I'm about like I'm about twelve or thirteen years behind on singing. One day when I grow up, hopefully I'll be able to sing <laughs> it to equal standards. But it's you kind of grown up in public in that respect, you know that like. My first studio record was the first time I ever sang in a studio. That was like, oh my god, what? How do I do this now? <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. That's that's so that's been the other one with songwriting that becomes those become the focus more than more than the guitar takes care of itself. You know. Most artists um, seem to talk about the need to to constantly evolve, but I get the sense that each artist has his own interpretation of what that actually means. What's your perspective on on artistic evolution? Interesting question. Yeah, you do want to feel like you're growing and you're moving forward without without a doubt. And I think people who haven't done that, that's been the, the downfall, particularly not not to criticize anyone in particular, but the, you know, I've there's been a lot of blues artists throughout history where you don't need all their records, you know, like you you they kind of do what they do and that's amazing. But you, they do another record. They kind of make the same record over and over again, you know. And so that's something that I've always tried to avoid. But at the same time, there's nothing greater than having a sound. So in a way, for me, I suppose, certainly from a guitar playing point of view, in terms of evolving, it's more become like a process of refining than evolving, for, where. The most important thing to me is just having my sound. 
So there's a Matt Schofield sound. And it's, I just, some of that is getting rid of stuff almost, you know, rather than adding more. It's like narrowing it down. And I suppose that applies to the music as a whole is, you know, getting, making something really definitive rather than more complex, for example. Just, you know, simplicity is hard to do well. You know, that's like the ultimate achievement is for something to stand up strongly and be simple, you know? So that's kind of process as I see it rather than some arbitrary idea of getting better, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think it might have been uh, Da Vinci that said that uh, simplicity was the ultimate form of sophistication or something to that effect. That's exactly the quote that I was looking for and couldn't find in my brain. But yeah, that's exactly the one. It is the ultimate form of sophistication. So I guess it depends on how you view evolution and what route you want to take down it. And I think that goes back to that jazz guitar thing of amassing knowledge, as some people do um, on an instrument is one thing but even you know the really great jazz players that's why you listen to oscar peterson play piano it's or be king play guitar they're beyond the instrument they mm-hmm. are they are outside it, the instrument almost becomes relevant and you're just listening to an artist express themselves um there's that aspect of wanting to and aiming for that in terms of evolving towards something but then there's also just the more mundane aspect of trying to make a better record each time um and that's something that i do keep in mind rather than churning out the the same thing um and that's tough in blues as well because it's not always hugely welcomed in the blues world you know like it's sort of pushing things is it's quite conservative the blues world in terms of what they'll accept you know so you have to tread a line and that goes back to what we were talking about with with the songwriting it's i don't know where that line is where something isn't blues anymore um but i know there is one and i feel it you know where it's like i've pushed this but it still feels like blues on and now it doesn't at all you know so i'm not that i'm any blues purist in any way but there's still something that makes things feel like blues and that's what I need myself to enjoy it. You know, it needs to feel right. And so it's also kind of trying to evolve within some kind of imaginary boundaries, you know, that keep it feeling like integrity in it, you know? For sure. I, I don't know if it would make much commercial sense, but have you ever gotten the itch to to flat out cross that line and go beyond the blues and try something else? Yeah, absolutely, all the time. In fact, now based over here in in, uh, South Florida, I go out most evenings, and uh, the guys who are playing in my band now, they have their own couple of projects that they play all all week with around town. And it's not blues at all. It's, although to me it kind of still is, but it's like modern, funky, I guess, for want of a better term, that snarky puppy type, mm-hmm. um, modern funky fusion jazz kind of thing. And I sit in with them and that I love all that kind of stuff, you know, and one of them, I love John Schofield and every single one of his records is different. You know, every record that John Schofield makes is a different project and he'll dip his toes in something, but he always sounds like John Schofield on it. He always sounds exactly just like himself. And, and that is, 
that's the position I would love to be in where you were completely free to, you know, you, you basically get together with a group of musicians that provide a certain sound like John Schofield does with Medeski Martin and Wood or his Uber Jam band or, you know, then he does his traditional jazz, more of a traditional thing with Bill Stewart. And, you know, it's that, I mean, that's kind of the ultimate career, but I think it takes a while. I'm still just trying to get people to, you know, know about me and come to the gig. So you kind of have to at least maybe plant your foot in one place for a while just to get hold, you know what I mean? And then maybe one day I can start kind of jumping around a little bit more. But that isn't always welcome in blues, maybe more so in jazz. But I need it. I need to play lots of different kind of things, you know, because um, otherwise it slips away. You lose the ability to be to be broad, you know, you become narrow. And that's what I was saying about, you know, unfortunately a lot of blues artists end up making the same record over and over again because they're not bringing anything else in and they're not ever going all the way across that boundary. Like you say, you've got to go and stand outside it sometimes. How often are you away from home on tour? Uh, a lot, yeah. I mean, probably like half the year I'm doing something. I've never never actually sat down and figured it out exactly. But uh, uh, And like the last couple of months, for example, we said we're not going to drive around in a van for, for months. We're going to do like some weekend things, you know, like – Two or three, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Saturday, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, so I did that for, since basically like the beginning of September. We did a little run on the East Coast and I went to California and they came back for a couple of days. And then I went, I can't remember, somewhere else. And then I flew to Italy for one show out Friday, back Monday. Then I went to Texas, you know, and like I was home for like two days at a time in between. And that just ended this past weekend. So I think that's more exhausting than just going out on tour, but that's the first time I'd tried it that way. So it was sort of like I was home Tuesdays and Wednesdays for two months <laughs> and then gone again. So the air miles were good, but uh, yeah, it's it's funny old uh, funny old existence sometimes. You know? Over time, has it gotten easier or harder to go on tour? Uh, it's about the same, you know, really. I mean, it's probably harder in as much as uh you get more you just get older <laughs> so you didn't things you didn't notice things i didn't care about when i was 25 i'm a bit more particular about now but um yeah it's not like i've had some you know playing this kind of music we're never going to end up on private jets doing it you know what i mean so it's it's um that is what all that stuff i say the other 22 hours of the day outside of the of the two hours that I play the show is my job. That's what I do for a living. And I had to learn to see it that way so that the music didn't become tainted by the ordeal, as it often is, of just getting to the gig, you know. So everybody has to do something they don't like for a living. And in my case, that's driving around like an idiot or, <laughs> you know, losing baggage or you know just staying in a horrible hotel or not getting a good meal for two days or so you know that all that stuff is what i do in order to play guitar anyway which i do anyway you know so once you see it like that then it's fine i don't care as long as i get to play um and in order to play every night that's pretty much what you have to do 
I have another quote from David Grissom Fresh, which is that going on tour to him is working 24 hours a day, but only getting paid for an hour and a half. Right, right. That could, it's almost like the same thing, but expressing it the opposite way. But yeah, so I try and see that I, I view the getting paid bit as the, uh, the 22 hours and I play anyway. So I don't, <laughs> I, I don't play for, for the money. I get paid to sit in a van or on a plane or something like that. How do you manage to motivate yourself to put on a great show night after night, performing as often as you do? Is it a chore? Do you sometimes have to do something and, and motivate yourself? Or, or do you just still love playing so much that it just comes every time? I love playing. I have never, I mean, I can be in the worst mood or the most stressed out or, you know, who knows what. And within four bars, I'm the same person. And, you know, as soon as I walk out, it's, I'm in the same spot. And I just feel very, very lucky to have that available to me in my life that I would never, never abuse that privilege. Do you know what? I mean, so it's like this, and to, so to me, that's really all I've got, and that relates to what we were just saying. The rest of it is just stuff that you deal with in life, and everybody deals with all kinds of things in life, you know? So I have those couple of hours, and they're totally, well, they have the potential to be totally pure, you know, totally untainted by the rest of it, and, and I, I can't wait to get to that spot, and so I don't care if there's five people there or five thousand people there or whatever i can honestly say it's the only thing i can really say hand on heart i have never phoned it in on a gig i've never you know been casual about it when i play i'm gonna play my ass off like that's that's all you've got it's really all you've got and if you if you let that bit go by the way and that's why i did have to rationalize it like we were just talking about because i did my first couple of u.s tours man they were long in a van playing to no one, night after night, no one, no one. And if you start to let that affect the music, then you've got nothing left. Why well, you, you may as well hang it up, right? If so, so yeah, I can honestly say I'm the same person. I just feel very lucky to to have that, and uh, I wish more people could experience it. And uh, uh, you know, it's a very lucky spot to be in. Over time, would you say you've become more or less self-critical after each performance? More, I mean, like because you keep, and again, and again, if you so if you put everything into keeping it pure and it being all about those couple hours, that being about the music, then that's got to be right. Then you know, it's because it, to to continue to make the other stuff worthwhile, then it's got to be right. I don't listen to myself play I mean, at all. Like, I would never put on one of my own records, or I don't watch clips on YouTube. I'm constantly barraged on Facebook with people sending video clips of me to me as though I want to watch them. I wish that people didn't record the shows and put them up because it doesn't capture it, in my opinion. I don't want to see it. <laughs> and it's to me, it's like somebody shoving naked photos of yourself in your face <laughs> and saying, look, look at you, you know, it's, it's not, it's not nice. And it's a moment in time and I'm not, you know, not everything is meant to be captured. So when I listen back, I'm, you know, I can't help but hear what I, I want to change, but you can't change it. You have to let it go. So in order for me to let it go and I'm talking from the perspective of improvisational music, you know, it's in order to do it, you have to be in the moment. And then 
you're not really supposed to revisit that moment all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you'd stop doing it. You'd stop taking chances. You'd stop pushing and stop looking over the cliff, you know, if you thought there's a chance you're going to fall. So I don't want to see myself nearly fall on a, on a video on YouTube or any of that because it's just too much. You can't be too critical and... You know, it's that thing, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect, actually. I was reading about it, and it's it's the more you, the better you get at something, the, the more you doubt your ability about it, because, or not so much doubt, but you, the more you're aware of how much more there is to, to know and to be better about with it, you know, mm-hmm. so because if you just understand the, the details and the nuances, and, you know, the, the opposite is true as well, with people who aren't, good at something tend to overestimate their ability at it you know so good musicians are often riddled with insecurities about what they do you know it's all so it all sounds terrible to me <laughs> no I, occasionally like six months later i'll see a clip and i'll go you know when it's far enough away that i have an objective can't remember what something what happened then and there you know so it's almost like watching it as a third party and then uh, i'll go yeah that's pretty good you know, or I'll hear my record somewhere. I'll go to some blues club and they'll be playing me and it's a record from five years ago. And I'll go, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> you know, so I need to I'm distance though, you know. I've had a, a couple of guests on the show uh, share a similar sentiment in that they learned or the way they managed to become less self-critical over time was uh, when they came to the realization that Oftentimes when they felt on stage that they had had a bad night, that they would get feedback from the audience, from the crowd, from a friend, that it was a, it was a really special night and vice versa. Nights that they thought oh, they were smoking, the someone would come up to them and go, oh gosh, you know, you'll get them next time. Always the way. Always the way. My sound guy and guy who makes my guitars, good friend that I've known for 25 years, Simon Law in the UK, he's probably heard me play just about more than anyone. And when I've been hating, or he always goes, that was a really good one. There's something, but it depends what kind of musician you are. If you resign yourself to the fact that you feel like you're sucking that night, or if it makes you try harder. So it always, if I'm, if it's tough, then I'll fight more, you know, to get to wherever I don't feel I'm getting, you know. And so I think that's what comes across. It's like the element of the fight in there actually makes you play harder. I did a tour, one week tour, me and Johnny. Henderson, my longtime B3 player, with a drummer for a week, and he was recommended and nice guy, but it, he just it wasn't the right drummer for me. You know, we were in a pinch and we took a recommendation, and uh, it was an incredibly hard week. I've never worked so hard as with this drummer. His just feel wasn't right for my music. You know, I just hated every. I felt like I could do nothing at all all week and johnny was working so hard to try and make it groove like our band normally grooves and you know everything was wrong and people loved every single gig (laughs) (laughs) and i was exhausted because i felt like i was climbing a mountain just to get halfway to where i normally get but just walking out and people loved it nobody noticed that i wanted to you know kill myself on stage nobody noticed so it is an amazing phenomenon, but there's something about that fight that people respond to. What do you look for in a drummer? What do you look for in a bass player, an organ player, a keyboard player? Yeah, that is a, that's a big question. And part of it is 
like not even really explainable. You just, especially with drummers for me, because I'm, I'm all about time and rhythm and I have, I would suppose, I, sometimes I feel almost cursed with a sense of time that is acute to the degree that it is, you know, like, so it's, I'm really finicky about it, you know, and uh, it's, that's the thing of ignorance is bliss, you know, if you're not super tied up in, in the time, then you're not going to be wound up by somebody else not being as, as on it as you are. But so some of it's just feel and like a click when you play with someone, you know, um, I don't even know what that is. This is where you get into, I get, or get rather philosophical about the concept of, of time in music because there's two drummers can play exactly the same tempo and it can be totally different, worlds apart, you know? So I'm, first of all, I'm looking for somebody that makes it feel good. I don't care if you've got a million shots or none at all. You know, that's not, I want them to feel good. I want them to always have an element of swing, even if we're not playing anything that's swing music. There's something to do with the time like that. And this is the same for the bass player, but that's the next thing. You've got to get the drummer and the bass player to click as well, you know? And uh, so if I had a simple answer to that question, then it'd probably be a lot easier to find people. And then my music in particular, this is something I've discovered is I got very lucky out of the gate when I started doing my own band with Johnny on organ and Evan Jenkins on drums. And we just played last week in London, actually, together. We've been playing together for years. But I got very lucky in that intuitively they're exactly what I, I grew up with, Johnny. He came from the same town as me. So we've grown up on the same music, playing it together all the time. But Evan as well, the drummer, we've, intuitively they had exactly what I like. And I almost didn't realize that not everybody else did, you know, mm-hmm. so sort of spoil at the start. And you go around and you start struggling to find that same thing in, in other people. So particularly in my music, it's an element of um, you've got to know the blues. Like you've got to know the real blues and the, the history of the music and all the feels and all the language of the blues. Even though most of the time we're not really playing straight up blues. You know, I do maybe two shuffles in a gig or something. But you, it's like the most important thing for the drummer is to be able to shuffle and swing even though we only do two of them. If, if you can't do that, you can't do the rest of my gig, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It's sort of... But most of the guys that are more steeped, most musicians that you find that are more steeped in the tradition of, of blues and more, I suppose, old-school music, can't play in 7-8 comfortably or something, which I also do, you know? <laughs> or, they can't, or they find that more difficult, or they don't have the sort of technical side that's required to play some of the tunes. So that's the hardest thing, and is finding somebody who can cover all the bases. And the guys I'm working with down here now, I have a US band now, four-piece band, guitar, bass, and keys. And they're young guys, and they came out of UM, and, and jazz, you know, um, and fusion. But they, they had a sort of cursory experience of the blues, but we're sort of working backwards now to deepen those roots. But that's been really exciting for me as well because they're taking it all on board and seeing seeing them grow as young, you know, guys in their early twenties. Only by going backwards in music, you know, it's like putting down deeper roots and hearing how much that makes their playing stand up. That's been really exciting for me. And and conversely, like I say, I go out and I sit in with them and 
get to uh, experience stuff that I wouldn't normally check out, you know? So it, it broadens my experience as well. You know, I wouldn't normally have been listening to young, funky, hip-hoppy, jazzy stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, it's, so it's all good, but that's the beauty of music. But it's... Um, but the short answer to the question is, this is really hard to find the right people. <laughs> I admire your sound. I know most of it is is you, right? It's your it's your phrasing, it's your touch. But I imagine, like most guitar players, that you also there's also equipment that works for you, and that you have favorite guitars and favorite instruments, and just the right amps, and perhaps the right cables, the right picks, the right tubes, the right uh, everything. How precious are you about the gear that you use live and in the studio? Strangely enough, not that precious beyond the guitar being right, being set up right. You know, like if the guitar is set up right, and that means frets and strings and action, how I like it. If I've got that, then I can pretty much make it sound 90% the same, whatever I plug into, you know, because it is, first of all, it's conceptual. It's, you know, like, so I pull the, the right sound out of whatever it is so i'm not i mean i have my preferences of course and i've set up on things for because i like them slightly better or they reproduce what i am doing better than other things you know but mm-hmm. I, yeah i never see it as the gear giving me sound you know so i mean i'm quite open to you know giving stuff a go so i mean i've played through probably half a dozen different rigs in the past month on gigs because i've flown in or just tried something out, a friend's amp or something, you know. And uh, so as long as the guitar's set up right, that I'm very precious about, you know, like, and Simon, who makes my guitars, SVL, will tell you he's had the neck off a guitar between soundcheck and and, uh, and the show to adjust the truss rod and that kind of thing. If it works, <laughs> if it works properly, then I can work with it pretty much, you know. Do you enjoy the recording process much? I love recording. I love that. This is the strange thing, you know, talking about that, being critical and things like that. But I love being in the studio and I love building records. And yeah, I love all that, you know. Um, I'm okay with listening back at the time. But once the record's done, I'll never listen. I won't listen to it again. Once it's mixed and that's it, you know, done. But up until that point, I love it. Yeah. So I'd love to have my own studio one day, you know. I'd love to be able to get up and the morning and go down to the studio and cut tracks and you know that would be amazing um and i've produced a few records for other people and i really love doing that because i don't have to be critical about myself if i'm sat there in the other so that removes that whole aspect of just being able to enjoy making a record so that's actually something i'd love to do more of but touring around my own band has kind of taken over you know but uh yeah i love it do you experiment or tinker much in the studio or do you find something that is good enough and it's the right mic, it's the right cabinet, right amp, let's just cut the track? I've tried it both ways. I really have. I've I've obsessed over stuff and re-recorded it and, and just gone in. I did a record in New Orleans four years ago with a producer called John Porter who produced many great blues records and I didn't, I didn't do anything. I just let him do whatever he did and I just played guitar basically and you know, set my amp up and that was it. And um, I would say I'm about equally as unsatisfied, however I do. You know, it's not like either way has ever yielded the ultimate results. There's always 
something that I want to change. So, um, yeah, I'm probably like to a point now. Uh, the last record I made, we did a lot of forethought about what we were going to use rather than wait until we got in there. So, you know, a lot of sort of pre experimentation and, 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 uh, you know, actually Simon, who I keep mentioning, he, uh, engineered and co-produced the record with me and he does my live sound. So there was an element of already just knowing what works anyway. So we knew which amps were what we were after and which microphones. And so we kind of went in and, and did it. Um, I'm not really a tinkerer, you know, this, that's for being that I'm kind of known in some way for, my tone, whatever that is, but that seems to be the thing that people mention all the time. I don't, I never like find change tubes in an amp to see which one sounds better, you know? Or I've never changed, once pickups are in a guitar and I like the guitar, those are the pickups that stay in that guitar. I don't like, oh, I wonder if it could be better. And it's the same in the studio. Like if we put the microphone on and, and find a spot and it sounds right, then let's get on with it. Do you think at the end of the day, the times when you have experimented or any artist, recording artist has experimented and they're just testing and experimenting and, and trying different things and trying to find what sounds just, just right to them. At the end of the day, I, I get the sense that perhaps it sounds just right to them and therefore enables them to perform a certain way. And what is recorded and what people and the audience actually responds to is that performance and not necessarily the actual sound or tone that they were able to attain. Does that make sense? You're, abs you're absolutely right. I totally, it's, it's an infinite feedback loop between this is, this is what drives me crazy about the tone chasing of the modern world and on the internet with guitar players and stuff. It's it, all it gives you is, is a, the, the ability to do what you do, but unless you can do what you do, you can't get <laughs> that from it. You know, it's sort of, it, it they're, they're intimately linked you know and so yeah I, i've often said this like one of my favorite guitar tones is stevie ray on the elma cambo right concert dvd you know and it's phenomenal but it's just a strat into blackface fenders with jbls and it's not even that pretty it's a bit honky sounding you know a bit nasal here and there but it's it's impossible to separate the the phenomenal guitar playing going through those amps from the tone of the amp you know it's 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 absolute they are inextricably linked you know and one is not there with the other so i totally understand what you're saying and i've often tried to explain it myself you know when people come up and say that amp sounds great and you're like does it, <laughs> it does. how does the amp sound you know like right and and that's outside of even just how you touch the strings and how you you know like produce the notes but it's it's more that more than that like you say it's more inspiration to the artist you know it's like layer upon layer of things coming together so i forget who the artist was but um i read once uh about someone coming up to a guitar player and doing just that and complimenting either the guitar the amp or the whole rig and saying that sounds fantastic and the gentleman putting it down and then saying how does it sound now yeah, I think that was Chet Atkins, I seem to remember. They said, <laughs> well, that guitar sounds beautiful. And yeah, how's the sound now? But that's exactly that's exactly right, you know. And um, there's um, so many linked aspects that to try and whittle it down to if I buy this new pedal or change my speakers or something. But that's not to say, we, you know, you need that stuff as well. 
you need and so i really only care if i like the sound of my guitar you know that's really what it's a bit of a selfish endeavor in that regard and it turns out however i get it to where i i mean i see i don't even play i don't play plugged in at home i play electric guitar unplugged you know when i'm practicing i've never cranked up my rig because i don't enjoy playing through a a little amp or a big amp on on quiet it doesn't inspire me so i'd rather just play the the guitar that i like but if you heard me playing unplugged it doesn't sound that different than when i'm plugged in you know because i've worked to get sound out of the instrument as well so it's all it's also linked but then i need something to inspire me nothing inspires me more than standing in front of a raging amp and feeling that it's like driving a powerful car you know it's i i want to i don't want to have to fight things or i want them to you know i want it to be uh have the power when i need it and that kind of stuff and that inspires me your uh example of stevie ray vaughn at uh, el mocambo uh hits home in that i remember watching it on vhs not even dvd and on vhs on a crappy tv and the mental picture or memory i have of it is is of of this glorious incredible sound when in reality if i were to properly and objectively analyze it i listen to it on crappy speakers off a vhs tape yet Uh it's still translated and it's still yeah you know stevie's got stevie's one of the guys that had that thing as much as anybody the one that always stands out for me with him is like if you're in a shopping mall and like you know there's just background music on and let's dance the the, the yeah. David Bowie track that he's on. He comes through like a laser beam, even <laughs> in like a department store. You know, it's like even though you can barely hear the track, all of a sudden when he goes to that song, it just comes through. But that's the intention and the and the confidence and the, and you know the the directness of his playing that that you're hearing, and consequently that creates a tone but it's much more than that the amp he was plugged into you know it's it's just it's a focus and i gotta say as i get more down the rabbit hole with the rhythm and time and things like that that's you know your phrasing is also part of your tone the length of a note you play and how you get from one note to another when you really go under a microscope all of that affects the affects the tone you know it's it's because it creates you know I, i'm into trying to play what I call big notes. So even if I'm playing fast, I want every note to, to sound and be like stand tall and, and exist, you know, like no like throwaways. And uh, and that's what people hear as well. That's sort of the tone is that every note is played strong and given life to it, you know? And that's what Stevie heard as much as anybody ever. He just, it just comes through like a laser beam and it carries and, that's much more than any rig could get you, you know? For sure. Um, you've had the opportunity to, to share stages with, with some very well-known artists, and I'm sure uh, many of your heroes. But are there folks out there with whom you would love to play with that you haven't had a chance to play with yet? Yeah, I mean, well, the, my answer to that question up until recently um, was always B.B. King being my, my very first guitar hero. And unfortunately, I never got that chance and, and won't now. So I'd love to play with Eric Clapton. You know, I'd mm-hmm. love to jam with jam with Eric because he was an impor- important early influence. But he's just Eric Clapton, isn't he? Yeah. Um, he's just Eric Clapton, and he's like the British blue guy for guitar, really. Um, 
So I'd love to do that. I love I, I love Jeff Beck. I came to Jeff Beck late in life, and um, you know I didn't get him for quite a long time. Um, it was too too much for me to compute or whatever. But then I one day it clicked, and I'm like, man, I'd love to stand next to him and just just to experience, you know, because sometimes standing next to these guys is a whole different ball game than even seeing them live. You know, when you're up there and you're aware of just how big those notes are that some mm-hmm. of them are playing. That's that's the that's the eye opener. So yeah, they spring to mind. So two British guitarists after all my <laughs> after all my talk about American blues guys, but most of the people I really love are dead, you see. What about uh perhaps singers, drummers, bass players? Oh man, long list of those. Would love to play with Steve Jordan. Drummer. Oh yeah, just what a groove. To, that's it. That's the pocket, that's the time, you know. Always wanted to play a tune with uh, Robin Ford's old Blue Line band, Tom Breckline and Roscoe Beck. I mean, I've hung with Roscoe. Have I jammed? No, I haven't jammed with Roscoe. But, um, but like, played together with them because that was a big game changer for me as a kid, seeing Robin play with those guys. I've not seen a rhythm section like that before, you know, who could really play the blues but also have much more. I suppose they're the ultimate versions of what I was talking about earlier in what I look for, you know? So... Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to, and the same thing with Double Trouble, really, you know, like Stevie's band, just to, you know, play a slow blues like that. Texas Flood on, on the Amacambo, that would be super cool to have that level of support underneath you, you know, to ride on, because they're just like a huge, great clown of blues that Stevie floats on, you know? So, yeah, I mean, there's all, but there's all kinds of guys, man, especially modern drummers and bass players, you know, that, um, I love, I love Keith Carlock and, you know, like I said, ages ago, they all feel different, you know? So, and there's something that, that makes me play slightly different depending on what kind of bed I've got there with that. So it's just getting to experience those things is really cool, you know? Your thoughts on drummers reminded me of something I heard, um, I want to say it was Eddie Vedder, say when he was talking about Pearl Jam and all the, the drummers they've had, and he compared replacing a drummer to the band getting a heart transplant in terms of the magnitude of, of the impact that replacing a drummer can have on the band and its sound. Oh, it, yeah. it's But just like even if I count a tune off, I can count off exactly the same with these different drummers, and they're all going to come in in a totally different place. Everybody just feels it differently, you know? It's not right or wrong. It's just so you find yourself having to be aware of that and just – and especially when we would, when I was just playing like with my organ trio with Johnny. So Johnny's done all the gigs, but we've probably had like 12 different guys drum at some point in the last 10 years in the, in the band, you know, a few, a few guys mainly, but occasionally we had to be somebody else. So for him, it's probably even harder because he's playing bass on the organ, you know, and mm-hmm. things like how long, how it, and on top of the beat or behind the beat he plays against a given drummer you know he has to adjust everything so yeah it's it's insane it's, <laughs> it's a whole different thing every time i took a look at your calendar i know you have a number of shows coming up you're performing live quite a bit are you working by any chance on any other projects uh should we look out for a record anytime soon yeah we're trying to figure out what we're going to do with that right now actually originally we were supposed to be going in the studio next month to start putting down some tracks with um uh, on a collaborative thing with a with a hero of mine actually but uh, uh unfortunately that isn't coming together at the moment so probably before that happens there'll be um my own record so i've got to get busy with that because it's going to be a couple of years 
um, in March next year since the last studio record. So um, as soon as we get it together, that'll be a new record. <laughs> Do you have any final words of advice for anyone aspiring to make a career in music and starting out in 2015? Yeah, the only advice I can really honestly give um is to just stay true to what you do and and uh you know keep that integrity in in your music because you're going to encounter lots of people who want to tell you what they think is best for your music and you know i still get it now people say well if you just did this you know you'd be more of a success or if you just change this or if you just made this kind of record but if you really know what you do and you believe in what you do got to keep that that integrity there because uh, the music industry is a very transient thing, you know, and if you, if you, if you lose that integrity, then you don't have anything left. So um, it's a hard, it's hard. It's a hard road to take, uh, especially today with, with everything the way it is, but uh, you just have to kind of stick with it. Not sorry. It's not more, uh, more specific advice than that, but you just kind of have to do what you do and work it out. Matt, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on. I've enjoyed the chat. Thank you for listening. Until next time.